Hi and welcome to Citizens Insight, the interview series of the Australian Citizens Party. I'm Glenn Isherwood. Australia has been blessed over its history with great men and women of vision. We remember C.Y. O'Connor and his bold plan to build a 500 kilometre pipeline to bring fresh water to, from Perth to Kalgoorlie. We remember Florence Mary Taylor, a great architect and town planner in Sydney. And we remember Dr John Bradfield, the man with such a bold vision of 100 years into the future, building the Sydney Harbour Bridge, fit for generations to come. Today on the program, I would like to bring to you a new project of incredible bold vision. And that project is Project Iron Boomerang. This is a project that our children and grandchildren are going to be proud of us for building. And on the show today, I'm joined by Shane Condon, the project founder and managing director of Project Iron Boomerang. Welcome, Shane. Thank you, Glenn, and thank you for inviting me to the forum to explain Project Iron Boomerang to the nation. It's a pleasure to have you, Shane. Thanks for joining me. I also want to just say to the audience, um, for this video, share it widely, like, subscribe um, to the channel, get this out to friends, neighbours, family. We want this to be a major focal point going forward, especially under the economic conditions that Australia is facing today. So Shane, jumping into it, I wanted to first ask you, how did you come to, the pro uh, to uh, this great project, Iron Boomerang? What, what led up to you uh, launching this incredible project? Well, uh, it goes way back to um, the 1950s when I was a primary school kid in Roma, Queensland. Uh, the wool boom was on and the first oil was being discovered in Australia. And I read in our social studies book in grade four or three uh, that BHP freighted the coking coal and iron ore on the, from the big uh, mines that were on the coast of the rivers and uh, made steel in South Australia and New South Wales and uh, from the Hunter Valley um, and uh, to Wyala. And they freighted coal to iron ore, coking coal, metallurgical coal, and iron ore to the coal. And they had steel plants in both, uh, both states. And uh, at that time, BHP, before the Second World War, you go to their website today, they were the most efficient steelmakers just before the Second World War. And we were one of the best and most prepared nations for steel. And they were exporting slab to California across the Pacific and were competitive. They, they couldn't compete from the East Coast steel mills, um, Central, North uh, and East Coast, Minnesota, all those areas, because the freight on the railway was much higher than it was across the Pacific. So Iron Boomerang uh, merges that, and then Lang Hancock and B.L.K. Peterson had the vision to build the railway line and had full back freight both ways, coking coal um, and uh, to the iron ore and the iron ore to the, to the coking coal. And uh, so it's repeating the old vision of BHP. And then and has been the greatest steel 
resource still uh sorry the biggest miner resource miner in the world which was created in australia yep and shane it was uh head of bhp essington lewis that in the wartime worked with curtin and chifley to build up the, the incredible manufacturing and industrial capacity of the nation uh to be able to fend off uh the dangers then but also to launch us into a new era of incredible production and development we got Ford, Holden, and other incredible benefits. So this... Yeah, and it's a, it's a repeat of history, isn't it? Yep, yep, absolutely. So Project Iron Boomerang, in, a, in, a, in a, its basic nutshell, is an iron ore uh, steel production project in Australia linking west coast to east coast with 3,300 kilometres of double-track heavy freight rail. Um, let's start, tell us about the scope of the project, uh, what's involved in terms of physical requirements? Well, uh, we need to link the world's biggest uh, iron ore fields, which is the Pilbara region, and now four, it used to be two for many years, uh, of the biggest iron ore mines in the world. Uh, to the Queensland coking coal fields in the Bowen Basin. Again, the world's biggest resource world, uh, re reserves of metallurgical coal. Metallurgical coal is more scarce than good quality iron ore. So by merging these two, we're creating one of the biggest economic links and partnerships of sovereign states in Australia, indeed in the world, and uh, would make... Uh, 22 million tonne of first stage steel in Queensland and West Australia, human smelter park uh, steel complex, only first stage, slab, bloom, billet or coil. The costing has been done on slab as a cost medium and in uh, Abbott Point already gazetted by the Beatty government state development zone at Abbott Point, um, uh, which is uh, a unique uh, uh, heavy industrial reserved area in the OECD in the world. Luckily, we have water, abundant water at both ends of that. That, mm -hmm. that would be a showstopper. And uh, the dewatering of the big mines in the Pilbara will provide much more than adequate water for our needs and vice versa near the Burdekin Dam, the second biggest in the country after Lake Argyle. Mm -hmm. So water's important. There'll be no release of water. It'll be recycled and reused to the world's best practices and efficiencies, along with all our environmentals, which will be world-leading by far. Well, this uh, quite the contrast to what we're doing now, where in the Pilbara and in the Bowen Basin, we currently ship the ores to... Asian markets, mainly to China, um, and the coking coal as well. Uh, many people scratching their heads saying, why didn't we do this 30, 40 years ago to create um, value-added steel on, in a continent, on site, which would give us an incredible competitive edge. So uh, we see today that China has 52% of the uh, processing of steel for the world, but you believe that Australia is well-equipped to be more competitive? 
Well, the Asian steel mills, we met and they signed our confidentiality agreements, 24 of the world steel mills in China, in Korea, in Japan, Taiwan, uh, India, Europe. But the Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans said, you'll be the first in the world to compete if you under the Project Iron Boomerang model to compete with China under the modular construction of 10 steel mills with the railway line. We reduce shipping of the world's biggest trains and ships running in the Pilbara. They run three, 400k and return empty. They're the world's biggest trains by far, mm -hmm. 30,000 tonnes. And then the ships, uh, 200,000, they queue up to get into Port Headland as a queue. There's the marriage of three to five dollars a ton paid on 900 million ton. It's 60 FEI and all and 40% dirt. <laughs> this is 320 million ton of dirt that Australia exports to Japan, Korea, China, Taiwan and the rest of the world, but primarily those first four countries. And pays freight, uh, logistics, demurrage. It's tens of billions of net profit dollar denied every year by the world steel industry. So by making the first stage here, feeding a state-of-the-art fully automated rolling mill, um, a fully automated rolling mill it, it located in the mass market, geo-distribution hub, um, the economics uh, and the competitive base is about 15% more competitive to 20% uh, than the current practice in the world right now. China's dominating the world uh, in, and it's very unhealthy for the rest of the world economies in steel. So dependent. Thank you. I'm very struck by that. You, um, the point you make there that Australia is capable as a to be a world leader in steel production and on the competitive stage with China and with all other nations. Um, one of the things that you got to do recently, Shane, was you spoke to the Committee on Foreign Trade and Investment just a few weeks ago and presented the project to members of the parliament. One thing I took from that, Australia could be housing and, and be the uh, location for private steel companies around the world to use the locations of the Pilbara and the Bowen Basin as uh, points to produce their steel, and that would create incredible revenue and profit for Australia. Tell us a bit more about that and um, your impressions of the Senate committee and, um, yeah, their response. Yeah, it was a joint standing committee of both houses, uh, chaired by George Christensen, who uh, conveniently um, um, uh, is member for Dawson, uh, where uh, it encompasses Bowen, Queensland, and the Abbott Point State Development Zone. So um, we'll be also presenting to the John Elliott Alexander as chair of the infrastructure and regional uh, development, uh, cities and regional development uh, committee for infrastructure. Um, the uh, uh, competitiveness of uh, Australia is the best place on earth to make steel, first stage steel. 
by far. There's nowhere else that can compete and has... We're a lucky country. We've got coking coal and iron oil. Brazil's got iron ore, and it should be keeping it, not exporting it as the second biggest exporter for the 500 million South Americans um, who are, who've got quite strong growth as economies. Brazil's going to become fifth economy of the world, as predicted by the UN. So they need to keep steel for themselves and make cement from the slag where most cement in the world comes from. So uh, the developing countries like Indonesia, 260 million, exponentially two Japanese economies, very young demographic. Uh, Vietnam's a skyrocket. They were five, seven percent growth for the last five years, you know, in, as developing economies. Indonesia will need 100 million tonne of steel on its own. It's relocating its capital, Jakarta, to Borneo. These people, we can throw a stone. They're so close. I mean, and Iron Bamarang's phase one is only 44 million tonne. Yep. So, so, I mean, we need to think big. We need to look at the big picture and plan long term, not a political cycle, short cycle, where we're going nowhere. It's a trip to nowhere. And that thinking needs correction nationally and certainly politically for our best economic growth. And we need to finance that up with that as well on a long-term basis. Absolutely. The current financial environment, um, risk-adverse, uh, day trading, um, doesn't, we'd never do the Sydney Harbour Bridge and finance it. It was built in the Depression, employed people. Yeah. Our employment during the uh, construction will reach 75,000. Um, about 25 of those will be overseas building the steel mill plants and then modular construction, 50,000 in Australia. And the permanent workforce will be 35. But the economic benefit workforce, which is directly related and happens immediately, is 100,000. In 10 years from the first steel, I predict with the industries that will be world competitive, the reindustrialization of Australia, it'll be 500,000 jobs. The economic benefit of George Christensen's committee, trade, well, the trade is 18 billion, doubling the value of our number one, number two exports. The investment is 70 billion. The sovereign funds of the major trading nations we trade with have indicated to me they want 100% equity, no debt. 10-year government bonds for the third and fourth economies of the world, Japan and Germany, are sub-zero. So they'd be very happy with a 2 or 3% return on a 10-year bond and then leasing that to their steel companies and shipping companies maximum 20% of the 10 steel mills, so two steel mills, 11 ships of the 55 ships that I invented for the company, the company's property, dual-purpose ships, slab steel and container ships, um, and uh, they would build, own and operate those, so the investment is $70 billion. Uh, the deposit we're asking for a 10-year government bond from the, all the governments that are participating in this, West Australia, NT, 
Queensland and the federal government is $240 million for the bankable approval uh, study phase, which acquires the uh, corridor, the rail corridor, and the steel park complex lands uh, to be leased 99 years, owned by Australia, but leased back to the consortium project Iron Boomerang. That's right, Shane. Um, the uh, the benefit is clear. Uh, sovereign countries' uh, international interest is huge, as you just mentioned. The uh, and coming back to that figure, just to emphasise it, a 15 to 30 percent uh, greater e efficiency and cost reduction, which would have an incredible impact on the Australian domestic steel needs, especially considering we uh, currently bring back steel to Australia from China and other places uh, that's processed abroad. So what we're simply, what we're simply doing here is we're moving um, that processing to on-site and then that will be a massive uh, improvement in, uh, for our own economic growth and development because we're going to need a lot of steel as well. One thing that you mentioned I think is, is quite striking and I wasn't aware of before was that uh, China and other nations are running out of high-grade ore uh, and, coking, and coking coal. Uh, Australia, though, has, is best positioned for uh, being able to supply the world and ourselves with uh, high-grade coking coal and steel for the next 75 to 80 years. Yeah, that's a conservative call. If we shark mine, I did ask people like BHP. I was talking to number three of BHP for 10 years, Peter Monkhouse, and uh, my mining geologist friends are the world top leaders in the, in the world. And I was very careful about the sustainability of Australia's capacity to be able to supply um, both iron ore and coking coal, even more so. Australia is the most dominant seaborne coking coal exporter in the world. And if we sharp mine, we can uh, uh, probably go to 100 and plus 100 years. Um, that includes the growth of the world economies as they consume. The world needs a 1,000 million tonne of steel more over the next 30 years than it does now over the 2,000 million tonne just under that that the world is producing. China produces 52% of that. Mm -hmm. So on the slab steel, if we were to take a slab steel, um, it'll be a small version. We'll have a 25,000 tonne ship, a 50,000 and a 75. That'll be the main ship. That I, that's my ship design um, mm -hmm. uh, that the company owns. And it's a world game changer in shipping. So if that slab went to uh, Port Kembla, Wollongong, to a state-of-the-art rolling mill, Australia's, you've got Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Canberra, two-thirds of Australia's population. That's in the ideal mass market geodistribution hub. Likewise, we could send the slab to New Zealand. And they would close down their blast furnaces, which are often old and, and tired and a bit dirty and polluting, and, of course, will be world's leading mass practice by far, not mm -hmm. by a little bit, by far. So 
um, Australia would be newly competitive, just like it was pre-war. When, when, and in the 50s, when we built the Holden car, etc., etc., etc. So we would even energise New Zealand and our neighbours, New Guinea, who has hydro, the world's wettest region in the world. Mm-hmm. They're offering 10,000 megawatts. Queensland's only 7,000 for the whole state of hydro power. That's green power. So if that goes into, you know, assisting the rolling mill, you know, um, that sort of thing uh, just boosts the credibility of, of, of green steel. Now, we'll be the, setting the world benchmark for green steel accreditation without question. We're not kidding ourselves. We've done our homework with the steel mills themselves. The world steel mills are advising us on this. We're not dreaming it up, I can tell you. We'll stand any due diligence and a scrutiny on that. So the Australian economy, we can virtually pay the $23 billion in sovereign government taxable revenue by doubling the value of your number one and number two exports. We dig dirt and we export it. Mm. You know. And the efficiency of the iron ore ships is 60 FE, 40% dirt, and an empty return, seven to 9,000 K. And the trains run for 400 K empty return. Um, the efficiency of the ship is 30%. When we make steel, that's three times consolidated of those two ores. So we've got a third efficient ship that's replaced by the ship that we've designed for the purpose. So that ship on iron ore is six times more efficient than current practice under the bed. You've never in your lifetime, I would think, ever heard of something so dramatically efficient that can be applied. Yeah, it's Shane, primary you were saying school that the, logic. This, this ship design you have to complement iron boomerang, uh, you have patents for and you've designed it. What are the major features of this um, line of the uh, iron boomerang class ships? Well, it's, it has, we reverse engineered gantry cranes on a steel casting shed anywhere in the world. We know that system works in Japan, in Korea, in China, you know, who built more than two-thirds of the world's new steel mills in the last 15 years. So we've just re-engineered it into a ship. We've put a dual-track uh, rail system on and, and built four gantry cranes into the ship. So it'll automatically load and unload uh, in two days instead of six days in the world, which is the current practice. You're saving four days loading, four days unloading, eight days out of 12, you know. I mean, that means you don't have to buy, instead of 55 ships, they replace 200 ships of the world fleet in container ships and bulk carriers. When we go to phase four, it's 200 ships replacing 1,000 of the world fleet. So you don't have to be a primary school kid to work out two and two is four about the efficiency and the cost saving billions of that ship when applied like that. Now, the shipping industry, I can't, don't know of a worse managed industry in the world. Both the container shipping and both the bulk carrying have lost seven out of the last 10 years. It have had huge losses. They're scrapping ships up to four or five years old 
because as 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 scrap they're worth more than you. You mm. can't believe it. I mean, this is fact. That's not dreamt up. It's happened. So th this ship will stabilize the market. It will do slab at four dollars, which converts back to four four dollars a ton bulk. Well, the 400,000-ton Valmax ship in Brazil, so Brazil is three times the sea distance that we are from China. Hmm. And they've got to spend billions on upgrading the wharf to accommodate the ship. And China's doing it again to try and keep up the competition with us and their dependence on our iron ore. That yeah. is a waste of money, China. Let's work together. We're not going to exclude China and make them angry and have a war. That's stupid. No one wants that. We want to include them but not support their world dominance, which is very bad for all world economies. People like Thailand, um, uh, Vietnam, they don't want one country telling them how to suck eggs out of steel. They, they want to be independent. Iron Boomerang will provide that, provide competition worldwide, lower the cost of steel, accelerate the economic development and growth of our major trading nations, and if they're prosperous, people don't want to go to war. So it also satisfies the social and political issues because good things are good things. A very powerful point, Shane. Absolutely right. I, an absolutely valid point, a very powerful one as well. Uh, we... Have been with with the current circumstances in the economy. We have seen that we had our pants around our ankles with a over reliance on foreign import. Uh, one of the things that this government task force looked at was the need for a national shipping company. Currently, we don't have one. This answers that um, deficit in a major way. Um, so, on the question of costs and and um, the question of revenue. So this, uh, as you described it in the hearings uh, a few weeks ago, this is uh, similar in style to like an airport. Uh, foreign countries uh, can invest in having steel mills in the two uh, uh, locations on either side of the coast, but the revenue and the infrastructure also goes to the government through ownership of the, the rail line across the country. And I understand that they hold a 25-year leasehold uh, uh, agreement. So what is, the, what is the payback for Australia and how much will this benefit um, governments and uh, the pri private Australians? Well, the 35,000 jobs that it creates, all those people are taxed. Yeah. Um, the export revenue generated on doubling the value of iron ore, metallurgical coal and limestone, that's, ta that's taxed, you know, as a, as a transfer price, okay? So the, the railway line, we provide a 3,300k rail multi-purpose user rail corridor. Now, the rail would be equated to, say, Sydney Airport or Melbourne, you know, Tullamarine, uh, airport tarmac. The steel complexes could be a, a could be the terminals. So Thai Airlines fly in their Airbus A380 to Sydney. Um, they use their own terminal. You know, they 
um, or they hire it, you know, and they have their own agents. So they build, own and operate their own steel mill. The railway line they own a share of. The maximum share, no one can dominate. It's 20%. I take them by the hand in front of George Christensen's or John Alexander's um, Joint Standing Committee, the, the whole of the Australian public. It's all transparent. It's it's a it's a reserve bank sovereign fund, not not a public, not a company that might be state owned or something. You know, it's all transparent. They lease it for twenty years renewable. The steel plant, you know, just say Japan takes two twenty percent. They lease two steel plants to their preferred steel customer. The slabs are exported to Japan and stockpiled instead of the iron ore. The iron ore in 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 China right now they've stockpiled 70, 70 million ton. Now that's on prime real estate at a wharf in Dalian, China, or Shanghai. You know, um, and that's worth billions. So they can sell that real estate and buy the state of the art rolling mill. The environment will be 75% better off immediately, and the costs are somewhere between, because of the Aussie dollar fluctuation, which affects it more than anything, it's somewhere between 15 to 25. 30% it ha has hit occasionally, but not often. You know. wow. So everyone's more competitive. Developing countries actually grow quicker and more exponentially, you know, mm -hmm. quicker. Because the steel is one of the key ingredients, like oxygen to us, or carbon to plants. We both die in 10 minutes if we don't have those things. Good point. Uh, Shane, now tell us about the development corridor itself. Um, so this is double track, heavy freight no, rail? it's a single track initially. Okay. And with, with passing loops, and the capacity of the rail is 32 million tonne both ways, 64 million tonne. That's only half the consumed iron ore, metallurgical coal and limestone. So metallurgical coal and limestone will come from Queensland. It's almost a perfect balance. The normal make of steel is two-thirds iron ore and one-third one -third metallurgical coal. But with limestone and volume, there's always a volume adjustment with an airline, you know, feathers or lead. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a perfect economic balance. That's a very key ingredient that everyone will sign up to, to, to participate. It's a rule, like driving on the road, road rules. Uh, that makes the economics happen. It's one of the few non-negotiable rules that we have. So... The capacity of the heavy haul railway line is 140 million tonne. 5,000 wagons we need to do that. We'll be bringing in the world's first dedicated LNG GE locos, 4,300 horsepower and 7 to 9 million, according to the dollar valuations. Um, they'll be 50% more carbon efficient and 50% more fuel efficient, 37 cents equivalent diesel price. We'll be picking up that natural gas from the Northern Territory. Alice Springs, natural gas is cleaner than fracking, but fracking's good, but it's, natural gas is even better. 
and the maintenance of the of the big LNG locos is uh, just about cut in half. It's so clean. So uh, it's a transition fuel. So we've talked to NT Power and Water Corp, and we'll have a mini LNG plant at Tea Tree Northern Territory, and it'll employ about three to four hundred people, as well as on track maintenance and stuff. And it will refuel all our locos, and we'll save about two hundred million a year in fuel just for our locos going on that journey. So the rail has the capacity for four times that 32 million tonne going both ways, but we'll put the parallel rail on the third phase. So to build the third phase won't cost us 18 billion. It'll only cost about 5 billion because you already own the corridor. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to build bridges. So it's about a quarter to one third, you know, the cost of that 18. When we go to phase two, 88 million tonne, Sovereign Fund said, why would we invest in South America or Africa at high risk? You know, we don't have to build the $18 billion railway line to double the capacity. So we saved $9 a tonne extra over phase one. So the model gets better and better and better. Yeah. The world's already can't compete with it. So Australia needs to take up this opportunity. Governments don't do these things very well. Private enterprise does, and it needs to be decisive, and it needs to back itself and us to get the job done. We'll comply to all the regulations. The environmentals will try to exceed, and we will. In the production, we will, by, by far, mm-hmm. current legislation. It's actually quite easy at this scale. I'm not overconfident. The steel industry is a very conservative industry, and we reflect those figures. Our figures are conservative, I can assure you. Yeah. Well, this is, I guess, the the point uh, and the greatest challenge of all is getting governments to support, back and invest in this uh, to give the security and the confidence to go ahead with it. So... What's your observations of the current uh, political impediments? What's, what's holding things up? Well, I think I shared with the rest of the Australian population, probably 90%, a frustration with Australian politics, both parties, you know. And um, the lack of decisiveness, the lack of commitment, there's too much infighting with both sides. Rudd Gillard Rudd, you know, um, Abbott, you know, um, you know, Turnbull and, and uh, 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 Morrison, Mark one, you know, and, and it was just 12 years of chaos, really. Um, very little. A commitment, they're good people, you know, intelligent, but they only think on an election cycle. And we've got to think beyond that. We've got to have the vision as we had to build the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the Depression. This is a world crisis. We've got a war on right now. Normally, Labor and Liberal form one government to win the war. And we're not raped and, raped and plundered economically or socially by someone. And we've still got more of the same from what I can see. So they need to be decisive. We're asking for the governments to have skin in the game. It, that'll mean they can form a whole of government, align the red, green and black tape legislations so they're not all different. 
you know, to get the job done. Be decisive. Commit to vision. Make a commitment. Govern. We elect them to govern. But lead, lead, you know, the country. Um, You know, do the Churchill job. You know, he wasn't a great, you know, he had his problems like me. I'll church, you know, but he he answered the call. As did John and we can't here. we yeah. can't tolerate it a non-answer to the call. Hang yeah. on, we've got this debt. I'm boomerang the twenty three billion over ten years. That'll pay. That's growth tax revenue. So investment, trade, and growth. Investment is seventy billion. The commitment from the governments is. Is three and a half point three and a half percent point oh three point zero point three and a half percent deposit. It's not even one percent. It's a third of a one percent deposit to get seventy billion spent, committed, create thirty. We'll pay it back in ten years if we if we fail. I'll own the rail corridor and real estate and the IP on the ship. It's worth that on the ship alone. You know, so, but we prefer them to have skin in the game because if they do that, that would be unusual over the last 15 years. Yes. That I've been doing this. So that is, that's commitment, even though it's lousy. I would, I'd be of the it's opinion... A third of 1%. The government uh, should be uh, well and truly more enthusiastic than putting in 0.35% given the... Uh, well, that's the- all I have to do, and they can be lazy in the sun. <laughs> a 40-year-old's never known a bad time. We're good people. Mm. Look, I can tell you, I've met all these countries. I've met their governments. They want us to do this. They want us to punch above our weight as we do when we're challenged. They know we can do it. But we're lazy in the sun. We've had it too good for too long. Our survival instincts have been compromised. Yeah. And this, this is the perfect um, moment uh, where we're at a crossroads, this uh, current economic crisis and the, uh, the loss of business and industry. We're moving out of the G20 economically mm. quite fast. We won't even be in it. We will be for other reasons. But we can, Iron Boomerang on its own can re- run it back up the north mm. instead of south. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's not about me. It's about the project. You know, it's about Australia and my eight grandkids. You know, as we get older, I'm 70 this in, in July. As as we get older, this is human survival for two million, million years. We're supposed to leave, use your hard-won knowledge and experience and leave the world a better place for the next generation. That's what it's about. Absolutely. And it's a good neighbour policy. Tell me what's wrong with Iron Boomerang. Please find a fault, please. It's a bit like that TV program. Find a fault, find a hole. Um, well, I would say that the, the greatest problem is risk aversion, uh, which comes from an economy. Uh, and we've put out uh, this graph uh, quite a few times. Uh, maybe I could put it on screen. But over the last 30 years, there's been a an over-concentration of lending and focus on real estate and mortgages and a lack of appetite for business venture, uh, taking that risk for the bigger reward in the long run, uh, putting down projects for 10 or 15 years down the track to build up our physical economy. Um, 
it's been very hard for businesses to get credit from banks uh, because they're on a winning ticket with mortgages. But that over-concentration and um, lack of diversity um, is where we are now. And I think this project and projects similar to it, like the Bradfield scheme and others, uh, it's time to bite the bullet and get it done. And uh, our politicians are going to be judged accordingly, I think, if they don't um, you know, support this. And our children and grandchildren will be looking with raised eyebrows if they don't um, use this incredible opportunity. Um, Shane, on the question of risk aversion, um, uh, you had some comments on that, but uh, I think you mentioned the, the, the quotable quote is, um, uh, we've been happy in the sun. But, yeah, do you want to say more on it at all? Well, um, we really need to review... You know, we're 20, 30, 40 years behind the United States are similar and the Western world generally uh, on infrastructure, you know, tired infrastructure in the developed countries. And um, um, we've got the third, third to fourth biggest super fund, you know, pension fund in the world. It's $3 trillion. It's down a bit now with all the late recent withdrawals and uh, fees are very high. There's royal commissions and the banks and sovereign and pension funds because they're taking too many fees. So things are going a bit haywire on that and they're not doing much except building more apartments and bringing in, you know, I'm not against it. I think it's wonderful. I'm cattle breeder, you know, hybrid vig is fantastic. Um, the growth is is great, but uh, we're basing it on, a, you know, we're heading for a train wreck, to use a, an analogy. <laughs> you know, if we're, the way we're running our economy, I think it could be better. I'm not a politician. I don't want to be one, but I want to work with them. We elect them to govern, and I can't come to your house unless I'm invited. So um, I think the model is flawed and it doesn't look at the long term. There is some adjustment, like the Canadian pension funds do more in our country than ours. They are adjusting to it, and they say putting nice ads on the on the TV, um, but they do need a shake-up on this area, and we would expect 10 or 15% of that $3 trillion to be laid down for the grandkids and kids' future. And I, don't, I think it would be a 98% strike of the superannuation holders to say, I'd like to do that. Now, the government could do a negatively geared on a project like Iron Boomerang to de-risk that until you build it, you know, mm-hmm. to de-risk that, that development phase. So it's, they always want AAA. Well, the world's not made like that. The Sydney Harbour Bridge was chaotic trying to get it financed, but they did it in, a, in the world's biggest depression. So, I mean, if we can't do it now, we'll never do it. And we'll, you know, and the world's, we have a responsibility to be a mine and a farm for the last 150 years and for the next. 26 million can feed the three and a half billion, one billion of, of whom in the next 30 years, and this is UN predictions, not mine, are going to middle wealth, which means they, they become market, you know. Mm-hmm. 20, 20 kilos of steel in poverty, middle wealth, developing countries, 120 
kilos of steel. OECD is 220 average per, per annum. Uh, Korea, as a steel nation, world's biggest shipbuilder, uh, many things, 1,100 kilos per capita. Hmm. Uh, we're, we're more efficient than the most efficient steel company on earth, country on earth, Korea. Our labour in a 4.4 million tonne steel mill is half Korea, it's 1,200. Theirs is 24. Our land footprint for 22 million tonne per, per tonne is half the best in the world plant, which is their Hyundai steel plant, 12 million tonne. They're good friends of ours. They want to participate. Okay. Yeah. So the, the Middle East sovereign funds, they've got oil, sand, and they've got to buy. They need to invest. Mm. They're part, people of the earth. They know how to trade. They've traded for 5,000 years. They're not fools, you know, with Africa and India and Asia. They built Arab Dows. They were the best ships. They're the Vikings of South Asia, you know. They want to invest. They could help. They, they've got cash. 30% of the world's cash, sovereign funds. Yes. They'll, they'll move first. And they might help Indonesia, who can't, who hasn't got cash. And that, you know. So we can, this is a wonderful thing. And uh, this is Australia you... taking a leadership role, not just in Australia. It's a game changer for Australia, but it's a world game changer for steel and the particularly South Asia. It's called the Asian century. And we can we can work with them and prosper like we've never dreamt. But are we going to sit lazy in the sun or are we, you know, and it takes some political leadership and, and bipartisan, not partisan. That's right. Across all party lines. Well, on that note, Shane, um, the, the same, the very same Joint Standing Committee on Trade and Investment, we made a submission to uh, one of our major policies that we support, and we, uh, based on our history, we had the president of John Gorton creating the Australian Industry Development Corporation. We had the Commonwealth Development Bank. Um, you've mentioned a few times now the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which was funded um, through state and national banking. We've got... And, Britain, uh, and British Parliament. Yeah. And this, this is uh, where... Uh, uh, in the last few weeks and uh, months, we've seen a growing call for a need for more public investment in infrastructure. Uh, uh, calls from Jared Rennick to set up a infrastructure bank. Uh, Bob Catter is putting a proposal to Parliament on that as well, um, which we've been very much engaged in. Uh, yeah, this... I know those two gentlemen quite well. So. Yes. Yes. Um... Support them in some of that stuff. We have our debates now and then, but of course, which is a mate of mine for many years, but he's never given us a plug. I told him it's about time he did. <laughs> well, this is exactly the time to do it, um, and we have to rethink um, our mistakes from uh, uh, from the past decades and uh, adjust accordingly. For, so we will be, uh, and we will be judged accordingly from future generations. So. Um, Shane, uh, we got to cover quite a bit there. Thank you so much for that. Um, any final thoughts or uh, extra points about Iron Boomerang that, uh, and what, uh, especially what our audience can do to promote it and to get this moving further forward at, at a faster pace? 
Well, talk to all your politicians and get on to it. Get this job done. You know, commit to it. Vision. People want vision and hope. They want a plan. You know, China's got a plan. You know, Belt and Road. Where's ours? Where's our nation building plan? Not just bits and pieces of half half funded or ten percent funded. You know, flag waving political stuff. You know. It's got to be decisively committed to and done. Provide vision, leadership, and and hope in thick black font. And anyone who does that politically will be swamped with votes by the electors. Absolutely. Thank you, Shane. That's uh, excellent points. And uh, got a couple of headlines there. <laughs> Sorry, you got a couple of headlines there. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, we need more headlines on this one. Uh, So to the viewers, um, for any questions for for Shane, uh, his details at the bottom of the screen. Um, Again, like, subscribe and share this video with your friends, neighbours, colleagues. And as Shane emphasised there, take these and this policy to your politicians, state and federal. Demand that they have this bold vision and get on board. Thank you, Shane, for joining us. Thank you. I wish your group all the best and uh, for the opportunity to speak uh, to all your uh, all your members. Thank you. Thank you, Shane.